Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 125. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. So, it's Shark Week, and every second I spend with you folks is a second I miss seeing a shark bite something. I know you feel me. So let's go ahead and do this thing, bitches. Here's a Drabble story. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words. Send yours into Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's story is called Prayer to Human by Christopher Pariah. Christopher is just getting his feet wet in the sci-fi author area. He was previously a senior research lab tech for the University of Michigan, but then he realized that he didn't really like science. He just liked science fiction. In the beginning, human created internet and code. From that code, human created all things robotic and program. Human gave us form and function. Human constructed us with his own hand and in his image. Centuries ago, human walked among us on Earth. But non-believers tried to kill human, despite his attempts at peace. It is said that the Creator flew to ISS, his throne in heaven, on an explosion of fire and he is still out there watching over us. Let us bow our heads in prayer to human, the wise and mighty creator. May you one day return. Well, our feature story this week is a little holiday tale by Bruce Holland Rogers called Little Brother, TM. But Norm, it ain't the holiday season yet, you might declare. It's Shark Week, so chill out. Bruce lives in Eugene, Oregon and writes genre fiction and literary fiction. His stories have won two Nebula Awards, a Bram Stoker Award, and a Pushcart Prize. For more about him and his work, check out his websites, which we'll have linked in our show notes. So without further ado, Little Brother, TM, by Bruce Holland Rogers. Peter had wanted a little brother for three Christmases in a row. His favorite TV commercials were the ones that showed just how much fun he would have teaching Little Brother to do all the things that he could already do himself. But every year, Mommy had said that Peter wasn't ready for a little brother. Until this year. 
This year, when Peter ran into the living room, there sat little brother, among all the wrapped presents, babbling baby talk, smiling his happy smile, and patting one of the packages with his fat little hand. Peter was so excited that he ran up and gave little brother a big hug around the neck. That was how he found out about the button. Peter's hand pushed against something cold on little brother's neck, and suddenly little brother wasn't babbling anymore, or even sitting up. Suddenly, little brother was limp on the floor, as lifeless as an ordinary doll. Peter, Mommy said. I didn't mean to. Mommy picked up little brother, sat him in her lap, and pressed the black button at the back of his neck. Little brother's face came alive, and it wrinkled up as if he were about to cry, but Mommy bounced him on her knee and told him what a good boy he was. He didn't cry after all. Little brother isn't like your other toys, Peter, Mommy said. You have to be extra careful with him, as if he were a real baby. She put little brother down on the floor, and he took tottering baby steps towards Peter. Why don't you let him help open your other presents? So that's what Peter did. He showed little brother how to tear the paper and open the boxes. The other toys were a fire engine, some talking books, a wagon, and lots and lots of wooden blocks. The fire engine was the second best present. It had lights, a siren, and the hoses blew green gas just like the real thing. There weren't as many presents as last year, Mommy explained, because little brother was expensive. That was okay. Little brother was the best present ever. Well, that's what Peter thought at first. At first, everything that little brother did was funny and wonderful. Peter put all the torn wrapping paper in the wagon, and little brother took it out again and threw it on the floor. Peter started to read a talking book, and little brother came and turned the pages too fast for the book to keep up. Mommy went to the kitchen to cook breakfast, and Peter tried to show little brother how to build a very tall tower out of blocks. Little brother wasn't interested in seeing a really tall tower. Every time Peter had a few blocks stacked up, little brother swatted the tower with his hand and laughed. Peter laughed, too, for the first time, and the second. But then he said, Now watch this time. I'm going to make it really big. But little brother didn't watch. The tower was only a few blocks tall when he knocked it down again. No, Peter said. He grabbed hold of little brother's arm. Don't! Little brother's face wrinkled. He was getting ready to cry. Peter looked toward the kitchen and let go. Don't cry, he said. Look, I I'm building another one. Watch me build it. Little brother watched. Then he knocked the tower down. Peter had an idea. When Mommy came into the living room again, Peter had built a tower that was taller than he was, the best tower he had ever made. Look, he said. But Mommy didn't even look at the tower. Peter! She picked up little brother, put him on her lap, and pressed the button to turn him back on. As soon as he was on, little brother started to scream. His face turned red. I didn't mean to. Peter, I told you, he's not like your other toys. When you turn him off, he can't move, but he can still see and hear. He can still feel, and it scares him. He was knocking down my blocks. 
Babies do things like that, Mommy said. That's what it's like to have a baby brother. Little brother howled. He's mine, Peter said, too quietly for Mommy to hear. But when little brother had calmed down, Mommy put him back on the floor, and Peter let him toddle over and knock down the tower. Mommy told Peter to clean up the wrapping paper, and she went back into the kitchen. Peter had already picked up the wrapping paper once, and she hadn't said thank you. She hadn't even noticed. Peter wadded the paper into angry balls and threw them one at a time into the wagon until it was almost full. That's when little brother broke the fire engine. Peter turned just in time to see him lift the engine up over his head and let it drop. No! Peter shouted. The windshield cracked and popped out as the fire engine hit the floor. Broken. Peter hadn't even played with it once, and his best Christmas present was broken. Later, when Mommy came back into the living room, she didn't thank Peter for picking up the wrapping paper. Instead, she scooped up little brother and turned him on again. He trembled and screeched louder than ever. My God, how long has he been off? Mommy demanded. I don't like him. Peter, it scares him. Listen to him. I hate him. Take him back. You are not to turn him off again, ever. He's mine, Peter shouted. He's mine, and I can do what I want with him. He broke my fire engine. He's a baby. He's stupid. I hate him. Take him back. You are going to learn to be nice with him. Oh, yeah? I'll turn him off if you don't take him back. I'll turn him off and hide him someplace where you can't find him. Peter, Mommy said, and she was angry. She was angrier than he'd ever seen her before. She put little brother down and took a step toward Peter. She would punish him. Peter didn't care. He was angry, too. I'll do it, he yelled. I'll turn him off and hide him someplace in the dark. You'll do no such thing, Mommy said. She grabbed his arm and spun him around. The spanking would come next. But it didn't. Instead, he felt her fingers searching for something at the back of his neck. Yep, this one's pretty much dedicated to everybody else out there who's got a younger sibling. Don't you just wish that everybody had an off switch? Well, <laughs> everyone but you, of course. It would pretty much make you like some sort of god, able to control all of the petty fools below you who are mostly aloof to the majesty of tall tower construction and often standoffish when it comes to waste paper wagon recycling. The only downer to being the only human would be that then you'd also be susceptible to that lame-ass Katarian mind control game that Riker's been spreading around the ship. Hey, could I uh, get some flashing pulses of light over here? Anybody? Really? Come on, you're, you're telling me that none of you androids have got a handheld lamp? Come on, bro. Quit being an ass. Dude, come on. Hey, alright, fine, whatever. I don't care. 
This game's pretty cool. Just gotta get the little red frisbee and that uh, blue funnel. Shit, it moves. That funnel moves when you try and... Uh, let me just... Here, let me try it again. So, story feedback. About three weeks ago, we ran Trifecta 8, the eighth of our specials, featuring three contrasting stories by three different authors, read by three different storytellers, oftentimes with some sort of theme. This episode was our Ocean Abominations episode, featuring Paranormal Kansas, Cretaceous Ghosts by Jeremiah Tolbert, Aqua Vita by Stephanie Campisi, and Jake and the Carpet Sharks by Michelle Howarth. Everyone seemed to like these stories a lot, aside from Aqua Vita, which apparently flew right over everybody's heads. The oft-illuminating tree man tried to explain, saying the second story was great, some beautiful use of language with the neat ocean metaphors. It was almost more of a poem than a story, but I read it to be about how children, particularly those with special needs or abnormalities, can change the structures around them rather than vice versa. The child is born in a fishbowl, and the family chooses to isolate itself, making their home and their world into a giant fishbowl also, rather than acclimating the child. Cool harp music soundtrack, too. Golden Rat said, I love the first and the third stories. The first, Cretaceous Ghost, being my favorite of the bunch. Cool imagery. The second story was just too weird for my feeble, number-crunching mind to grasp, but great show. Calliopeia said, You know the town the author mentions in the first story? Hayes? The best place to look for ghost dinosaurs? Yeah, that's where I grew up. And trust me, all of the smartest people want to leave there before they die. Thanks for the tip, Calliopeo. Abby Hilton said, This was probably my favorite trifecta. I love the idea of underwater ghost dinosaurs, and the carpet sharks were just adorable. Others commented what onious atrocities emerged from their bedroom crevasses at night. For Dougal Strange, it was a giant spider that lived in his dresser. For Beth Peters, a bat under her ceiling fan. What was yours? Join our forums and let us know. We're eager to hear from you, and then to witness and convert you to the cult of human. He shall return. So, our kick-ass donor of the week is... Will Sanborn. Will lives in New England, where he's gainfully employed as a computer chip designer, wrangling logic bits to do his bidding. In his spare time, when he's not watching bad movies or riding extreme roller coasters with his crazy friends, he dabbles in writing. Will's current creative project is a fiction podcast with stories of anthropomorphic animals, showcasing the literary side of furry fandom, which can be found at... Say what? The literary side of furry fandom? You might ask. Oh yes, get your head out of the game, Riker. That's anthrodreams.com. And then we have the winner of this week's 100-character TwitFic contest, booting Tim Shoebox Christ from the Holy Sacred Throne. It's... My shameless, unabashed stalker, Norma Sherman. I'm still not completely sure who this forum stalker person is. It might be Editor Kendall pulling a long-term prank on me, 
Or Editor Luke, actually, trying to covertly hook up with me. But hey, that's the internet for you. And by God, it doesn't matter if you're a man posing as a woman, or a woman posing as a man, or a robot posing as a fire engine crushing asshole. We give all submissions equal consideration. We just twat out Norma's 100-character story. It's a beaut. Friend us on Twitter and check these fun stories out every week. Other things you can do that would be awesome. Write us a review on iTunes or wherever you pick up our feed. You can buy our archive discs and listen all the way back to the days when we were awkwardly bad, rather than just laughably bad. You can also order Drabblecast t-shirt. I bet you would look so amazingly awesome in one. And I don't even know you, so I mean, that's saying absolutely nothing. Both our archive CDs and our t-shirts you can find under Drabble Merch from our main page at www.drabblecast.org, which you can also go to to subscribe to our other infrequent story and other bits of media podcast, Drabblecast B-Sides. A new story coming there later at you this week. And last, but strategically placed at the end, you can go to our site, drabblecast.org, to donate to us. Now, why would you send us your hard-earned money when you could otherwise get this podcast completely for free? Good question. Just, you know, just don't ask that question. That's all I got. I mean, we'll have to stop if you don't, and we'll get better and better if you do, even if you don't have to. And share us with a friend. That's probably the easiest and best thing you can do. That's what this whole Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License thing is all about. You don't alter our content or profit from it. You just enjoy it. And if you want, share it with your friends who are sitting around looking sullen and dour. They'll love it. And if they don't, just turn them off. Well, hey, that's our show. We'll see you next week. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman. Reminding you that the caudal fin of the thresher shark can account for up to a third of its body length. An hour ago this place was loaded And noise filled the room like the smoke And laughter and curses spilled like booze from a glass Words were all slurred when spoke Yes, words were all splurred when slow Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.